to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaefer. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Welcome to another Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. How are you this week, Jeremy? Good, buddy. It's been a busy week. We're getting closer and closer to Ignite, so it just gets more and more busy. You know, it's a busy week when I w- you and I actually had dinner together one night, but we couldn't get any podcast recording time carved out. You know, that's a busy week, right? Yeah. D- dinner was far more important. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so uh, I was in town for the dev kitchen that we had and uh, some interesting stuff there. Can't wait for everyone to see it, but that's all I can talk about today. The graph team had a busy week as well. I saw version 1.18 dropped yeah, so the Microsoft Graph SDK for .NET, the team kind of try and push out regularly new updates. And we had some feedback around this notion of um, how you get the raw error out of the response when you call the Microsoft Graph. And so now there's some nice little kind of properties you can call straight off the service exception that allows you to kind of grab that and the client request ID. And so where if you were using REST, you can just copy and paste the response easily. It was a little bit buried before and how you could extract that so we just made it a property so i really like the fact the team was kind of able to see that that was an issue based on stack overflow questions and what they see in support calls and and make that adjustment which is great yeah and you know i'd actually struggled with that same issue before and and my solution which i put into the community library was a little snippet that daryl actually showed us uh, uh, months and months and months ago is an http handler that you can inject into the, the the client pipeline and all this is doing is just dumping out the the raw response request and response using a, this helper library that he had to dump it out. So I've done this a, a several times uh, just to dump the whole thing to the screen or to a string or or, or a, a breakpoint, right, in Visual Studio so I can just copy and see the raw response. So it's nice that, uh, well, now so I, developers have two ways to go this, right? You can actually see the raw traffic using the, the logging handler, but your production code can get what it needs out of there. And and that client request ID is very popular request, at least what I see, uh, like in Teams, dealing with the Teams SDK, a lot of these, okay, that looks funny. What's the request ID so they can do track it down? So it's great that we can get that without having to spelunk through additional data. I like that. Yeah, and so if people haven't noticed, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show. I know we did it on the Microsoft Graph community call, but um, you're kind of leading up the charge on this open source library called the Microsoft Graph or ms graph sdk net contrib So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure. So, you know, it started with, obviously, we needed something, right? And and our product code has a bunch of raw REST stuff because it, it existed before the SDK. But it, as I'm working through other, you know, little side projects or, or whatever, it, it got to the point, well, uh, specifically, I had to call into the SharePoint underscore API, and it occurred to me, why do I have to start over? And so that was the initial thinking was, well, why can't I just do an extension method off of the graph service client? Because at the end of the day, you build up a, a, a URI, right? So that's where it started. And, and so there's some extensions there um, that'll, that'll call the legacy SharePoint underscore API. And then I ported over a, a changelog code that I had in 
SharePoint 2010, probably server side stuff, just to see how that would work as well. But the, the, its primary goal going forward here is to kind of close gaps to something that that isn't not yet in in the uh, the official SDK. Uh, mailbox settings is one that just isn't quite there yet. And there was some immutable ID header stuff that wasn't there yet. I should go back and double check. But and then, of course, now the other idea is just do some samples. How do we use it? So I, there's a couple samples in there that you talk about how to use the auth provider. Another sample on this, uh, you can see this logging handler. So really just uh, trying to close that gap for developers who see the SDK and want to know how do I do X or how do I get started. We'll we'll just focus on getting some samples out there. And then I I, I lurk on Stack Overflow to find these gaps of things that maybe they're, they're... not yet in the SDK because the the generator can't get them yet, or it's an annotation that's not there yet. And it's not a criticism of the of the team. It's just there's a lot to get to. So if we can fill in that gap, why not, right? So lurking on Stack Overflow, huh? That sounds very creepy. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't. I'm not so good at typing. I've typed in some answers a couple times, but I'm busy. And if you put a one sentence answer without a link, the the Stack Overflow. Yeah, uh, uh, moderator duders start slapping my finger saying you should be more responsive. So lately, I've just gone to putting the answer on my blog, and and put some <laughs> sample code out there, and and it'll live longer. So, but yeah, but that's good. So and it, it it keeps me up to speed with what's happening with the with the SDK and with the service in general. So it's a great way to to follow along. Yeah, no, we well, we really appreciate it. So thank you for doing that. And um, I guess we have a few likely extra listeners this week because the show is. Uh, I was very fortunate to go and meet with Kevin Gallo yesterday, actually. Um, we were in the keynote at Build Together that Rajesh did. I talk about it a bit at the beginning of the interview, but uh, Kevin was just a great guy. He was just very, he made everyone very relaxed. And even though he is a vice president of Microsoft, was talking to us all and chatting backstage in rehearsals was kind of one of us, which was just a really nice way of approaching it all. And so when I kind of was like, Hey, do you want to come on the show and talk about windows dev? And he said, yes, like just absolutely made sure we made it happen. So, um, I appreciate new listeners, um, from the windows dev community on here. And, uh, I guess my only call out would be is please click subscribe. I, I think like learning about Microsoft 365 development broader than just windows development is really important as a developer to broaden their skills. And so, you know, in the next few weeks, uh, we've got some really good interviews with people uh, talking about the bot framework and the enterprise virtual assistant that the Azure bot service team have been shipping. And uh, Paul, you've got some people coming up to talk about a few things too. Yes, uh, some old stuff, some big picture stuff. It, it certainly is. And to longtime listeners, thank you, of course, and and pay attention to the what what Kevin's talking about here because as the Microsoft 365 developer landscape evolves, it's not just writing SharePoint web parts anymore. So it certainly is worthwhile for all our listeners to to pay attention to what's happening uh, throughout the entire ecosystem. So I'm really, I'm really glad that you were able to track him down and, and I, I loved his demo in the, uh, in the build keynote. And uh, it's nice to see that we have, uh, he's willing to come on. So thanks very much to Kevin for doing that as well. And thank you for tracking him down. No, you're welcome. No, it, was, it was really good fun actually. So um, without further ado, we'll jump into the show and um, we hope to see you all next week. We'll be talking about the bot framework with Darren Jefford. So um, have a great week, Paul, and um, I'll speak to you soon.
Okay, so I'm here in Studio F in uh, Redmond with Kevin Gallo. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here. You are the first CVP executive we've had on the podcast after 180-odd episodes. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for your help and guidance, actually, in the keynote that I did in Build back in May. Mm -hmm. Um, I was slightly intimidated by the fact I was sharing the stage with Rajesh as an EVP and with you as a CVP and I've watched you on stage for so many years announce things you were just like one of the guys and girls and chatting and you know giving us tips and trying to calm us down and I just really appreciate the fact that although you have been here so long and um, you are at the level you're at you still can have a chat with someone who's on the floor doing work so thank you it was very cool work with you You did a great job thank you you did too I loved it it was um, was exciting to do I mean I must admit it was great walking off stage and being like we're done that is a great moment (laughs) it is is definitely a great moment and then the second best moment was I think essentially my parents watching it and being like wow that's so cool that you're on stage with all these people so um, yeah, again, thank you so much, and just you know, great use your character there to mm-hmm. be able to do that. So, um, you've been at Microsoft a fair while, Kevin. Yeah, I've been here a while. How long have you been here in total? Uh, Twenty six years. Wow. So, been wow. a long time. So, in the uh, the conference center, you're on the glass there, and the big crystals. And yes, I checked it out. <laughs> <laughs> I did check out and make sure I got etched in there. Far out. And so, when you joined Microsoft, what was what was your first gig that you had here? What what did you come in as? What kind of role? It's actually kind of interesting. It was uh, uh, I actually wanted to do something mixed with software and hardware. Yeah. And we were just starting to look at some embedded devices, phones, fax machines, uh, different kind of handheld devices. Uh, and so I came in working on that system, which ultimately came CE. Oh, so okay. um, we were building the OS and we evolved it and ultimately produced CE out of it. We didn't ship any of the hardware, but <laughs> that stuff all died. <laughs> but uh, it was a fun it was fun to go do and see it uh, actually be produced as an embedded OS. Right. And I mean, CE is, I mean, you can still find that in places out in the wild, right? Where, like, where's the funniest place you've seen it running? Oh, man. It's been a long time since it's, it's probably in these cash machines, you know, <laughs> registers that are out there that's running these embedded that they're out there for a long time. Yeah. It's just you know. too risky to touch, though. Exactly. You know, until they break down, you don't replace them. And so that, that naturally evolved you into the Windows world of Microsoft? Well, it didn't really. I actually, at some point, I, I had an interesting career decision whether I go into going to graphics or networking. And I wanted to kind of go into a, not something with hardware, but something into a deep technology space. I decided graphics. And so I started off, I built the first compositor. So I have the patents on building a compositor that allows you to have fast graphics and say, you know, drawing text, which is slower. So you can get these speedy things that is kind of the basis of oh, almost wow. everything is multi-layered rendering and using compositors. Uh, and so that was, I went to research. And so we evolved that. And then I came from there and I started working with, you know, Windows. I actually worked with Silverlight as well and WPF. Most of those uh, new technologies that drew all the new graphics, all of that um, I've been at for 18 years of wow, it. Wow, that's incredible. And so on that journey, like what, what would you say would, you, would be the major, the most biggest leap you've had in terms of like all the different composite things you've worked on? I think it's been a journey of, of learning a few things. One was, hey, we really got to exploit the power of the device to interact with the human. Mm-hmm. If you really want to sell the hardware and people want to buy a device, they want to get something from it. And so really making sure that we can make it shine, especially early back then, Graphics wasn't the way. We used to have single-page web pages. Right. You know, now every page is flying and you know, <laughs> you know, got some sort of a uh, react, you know, um, a design that's kind of you know, responsive design, those type of things. So I, I think it was learning to build experiences for human beings and making sure that they enjoyed 
their devices. And my journey took me going cross-plat when I did Silverlight to building phone to building desktop, you know, Xbox, and now really, you know, multi-platform, uh, multi-device experiences that we're trying to get done. But it's always been in this experience place that you can go and use on any device. That's kind of been my journey. I've always seen you as like the the developer voice or the developer leader in that space as well. How much of your role is like balanced between thinking about it as, I mean, I always think about this from the graph as like a first party and third party. So us building on top of that versus our partners building on top of that. Like with, with the work you've been doing in these spaces, like are you always thinking about that split or is there places where, you know, you think about it just purely internally? Uh, I probably think more externally than I think internally. That doesn't yeah. always help me all the time, but they'll say that <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to be on both sides of that. But I always have an eye towards third party. And even like when it came down to building experiences, it really was about enabling developers to go build it. Yeah. What are the fundamental building blocks when you see something? What are the components that as a developer you're going to have to piece together? How hard is it to go do that? Um, and so I really in some ways try not to think internal versus external. It's mm-hmm. if I was the person writing the code, how much of it would I want to write? Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I really just tried to put myself in the position. I grew up actually being an engineer, writing code, um, not as much on the you know, management side. And I only moved into that because it, it would help me get the job done and help reach the customer better. Yeah. Um, but I always put on an essence my own hat and said, how would I want to write this? And so I try to get into the code. It's one of the reasons why on stage I like to actually do the demo. Yeah, show, um, show the code and, and show it running. It, try, you know, try it out for myself. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're a little contrived. It's hard to write real code and demo <laughs> code. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about how hard is it for real to solve the end-to-end problem uh, and for the developer. So I kind of put myself in that platform hat all the time. So internal, external, each of us have our own challenges. And so a lot of our audience, uh, I guess, essentially would associate themselves with being web developers. Some have certainly come from um, building com add-ins for um, office experiences, um, which, you know, means that they were building on top of Windows. But obviously that world has evolved now with web development being how you would build an office add-in. And the SharePoint developer crowd is certainly one of our largest audiences for this podcast. But there's obviously this new audience of teams. And I've always wondered when talking to these audiences about the graph, why they immediately leap to those three places to go build applications and the reason I wanted to get you on was really to understand like what are the four compelling reasons that you would say look you know those are great experiences to go build in but you should also consider building inside of windows and you know what what would be your discussion you'd have with a an, you know an executive level or with a bunch of developers an event to try and understand you know the value of it well so definitely with web developers I think we're making an especially um intense effort to really make it so that their end-to-end workflow, that you know, F5 workflow where I'm just like constantly on the inner loop uh, development cycle, better, more pleasant, more efficient, and, and solve each of the pieces of it. And uh, one of the things we showed is things like Terminal you know, and Windows Subsystem for Linux. So you can actually go do full stack development right there using those components. We're also adopting a standard browser. So there are fewer browsers in the world, fewer engines in the world yeah. that you actually have to test against because they are more, more in common. And the goal of the web is really about shared code. It's about writing it once and really truly having the code work. You still want to optimize for form size, but not for API differences just you know because three or four people decide to be different in that for no good reason. Um, 
you know, and then we even give you the scale on Windows to be able to build hybrid applications where you do need to take special capability, um, you know, special capabilities on the platform itself and take advantage of those unique things. But you can also divide the app up nicely into the piece that is shared and then the piece that is specialized for the device. And just at the end of the day, I think, you know, I'll, I'll tell you some of the exciting things I see happening on web um, is things like WebAssembly that actually give you flexibility to integrate in other workflows. So if your code came and was not birthed on the web, you can still run and use it and use other tool chains. One of the things I, I kind of as a philosophy of my life is people will use the tool that is best for the job. Yeah, yeah. Some people are zealots. I'm a pragmatist. Yeah. You know, and you're going to choose the components that are best for doing the job that's at hand. You're going to look and get, you know, GitHub, see what's available, see if someone else has built it, and then reuse that component. And that's the beauty of the world we live in now, that we can literally just grab those components and see something that's been built and then build on top of it and not have to re-implement it. You know, it's like when the printing press came out. You know, all of a sudden, human learning didn't have to reset every single time. Right. And here our code investments don't have to get reset every time anymore. They can be built on top of each other. So I, I definitely think these assets are the things I tell people to kind of look at as building components, looking what's happening and making sure they're optimized for the you know, for you know, reduced costs in development as well as optimizing it for the underlying system that you're running on. Because humans do really want a optimized experience for the device they're running on so they can be more efficient. And so as a web developer you know, what's your experience in people going and writing for Windows as an, an application? Um, like, I personally love Microsoft To Do, for instance. I have the option to go to Microsoft To Do's uh, web application in my browser, which is Edge. And I love it. Um, but I do find myself, for whatever reason, I think maybe it's for me, it's the speed of the app and the fact that it's because it caches a task offline. Like, when I get in there, there's no like lag on loading the page off the internet. Um, but also because, you know, it can be on my taskbar, I can launch it. Um, and it's kind of portable in itself versus being a tab in a browser. But as a developer, like if I wanted to take advantage of that and um, build that as a Windows app rather than doing it as a web app, or maybe I'm doing both, is the journey relatively straightforward to go do that in Windows? Yeah, I one of the things that the way I, if I was going to talk to someone who wants to maximally share and then have optimized experiences is where users spend the most time, mm-hmm. they usually want it to be the most native. Yep. It feels like the system, it's optimized for the input form factors, the text edits that way, it's got the edit box, they all kind of work more like the rest of the operating system. Yep. And so this is why I tend to like hybrid apps. You can share web where it makes sense, and then where customers are giving you feedback, you can go optimize that with a native screen or a native experience. Yep, yep. And so these native apps give you the ability, or the hybrid apps, give you the ability to pick native where it makes sense, and web where it makes sense, or even, I'll be honest, any middleware. If you think about it in gaming, it's exactly the same thing. It just happens not to be web. It happens to be something like Unity, mm-hmm. where people use these shared game engines, and then they'll write down to the metal for certain pieces of the experience that are really premium or where they can differentiate. So you maximally share and then optimize down to the platform uh, where you need to. I mean, even games that, that go across PC, desktop, and Xbox, right. they share a bunch of the core, and then they optimize to death to for each on the one different platform. so that they, their customers love the device they're on. Um, and so that to me is the model I tell people is start with a hybrid concept. Yeah. Reuse what you can reuse across iOS, Android, Windows, or even Mac, and then 
optimize for each one where your customers start saying, hey, I spent a lot of minutes in this experience. Please go tune and optimize it. And sometimes the web's good for that, and sometimes native is better for that. Yeah. Even things like React Native allow you to start to share even some of the web logic and still get a native experience. Yeah, which we showed it. Which we showed there. So it's something that sort of even bridges better. Yeah. And I think more and more we're going to see technologies that allow you to kind of bridge between um, just like when we compile down you can link things that were built with C++ versus C Sharp versus yep. you know some of the any, you know some of the other languages we we sort of abstract that so you can pick the best tool for the job and it is a good point like I'm I flip flop between having an iPhone and a Android device I'm currently Android this year and you know I do find myself downloading the app rather than going to the browser for a lot of things I think it is that feeling that it feels like the rest of the experience you have on that phone so you're right like Windows is the same maybe that's why I do naturally gravitate to to do as a store app as opposed to just going to the web browser I just the user behavior is I do somewhat the same thing the things that I use a lot I will probably want the more optimized experience because that's where my minutes are. Mm-hmm. And if not, I think the web is great as a yeah. great solution for, for some of the experiences. And like I said, even inside the experiences. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, you know, depends on who you are. Yeah, I guess everyone's you know, a little bit different, on right? On the desktop, I'll put Facebook up and I'll leave the website up just like I would an app, mm-hmm. you know, and then to me that's perfectly fine on a desktop. On mobile, I'll tend sometimes to use the app. Sometimes I'll go to the, the web as well. You know, because the app I didn't log into or I just happened to be in the browser. So one of these things is just it's in the flow and people choose many different things. And that's why you have to kind of pick what your users you are using your dev- your app for. Right. So that's your experience key, for. Like understanding your user to know where the right place is to optimize. Mm-hmm. As a developer, uh, one thing I've always kind of noticed with the Windows world is like, like everything, there's been an evolution. Um, you know, I did used to do Win32 development back in my day when I was a consultant in Australia and you know I had a love-hate relationship with Win32 and the, mm-hmm. the UI designer of that and then uh, when I was doing mobile development obviously I did a lot of XAML and .NET um, but there are other ways you can build with Windows like can you just summarize like how you would explain that to uh, a brand new developer that's coming in or someone that's established that you know if they're writing Win32 is should they stay doing Win32 or should they be evolving to other technology? Because I feel like some that's not a lot of the major questions I get. Yeah, um, I, I, the first thing I would say is if you have a code base, we're going to make sure that you can not – you should not have to rewrite good code unless you are in the phase of redoing that code for some experience. Yeah. And then as you rewrite it, you should use newer technologies is my recommendation. Then use some of the modern technologies we talk about. But in general, the idea is you should be able to adopt new features in place – and only rewrite what makes sense to rewrite for the for the feature that you're adding. Mm-hmm. So we have a principle that we're trying to make sure that all new features are available, whether it's Win32, UWP, hybrid application, um, any of these things. You, you have access to all of those features. So in Windows, it's democratized as, hey, when a new feature comes in, you should get access to it. Sometimes you have to adopt, like say for Inc., you have to adopt a new UI framework. We're not going to put it into the... 14 of them that's been shipped in the past or some other third. <laughs> so we try to invest it there saying, but then we give you interop so you can host that in your experience. Right, okay. So we do have different ways that you can integrate in those new features. Um, if you're starting from scratch, a lot of it is, I'll be honest, like where can you find something that's already existing that solves half the problem for you? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to build what isn't your unique value and you can spend all your time on the unique value that differentiates right. what you're doing. Rather than all the scaffolding and, and framework stuff. And that varies. Stuff. I mean, even when you're a web developer, like, there yeah, are the so many frameworks out there. Mm-hmm. And saying, you know, which one are you going to pick? It's going to be which code was I able to do that did, where can I get code? 
that already solves what I don't need to be an expert in so I can spend my time on being an expert and hiring the experts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that, I think, is a new mental model mm-hmm. of just middleware or build shared libraries or code I can get and shared off of GitHub that I don't have to go build. So I, I do think a lot of the world is in this, I call it a composite app. I'm taking pieces from, from other places I, I don't have to go build. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, as a platform provider, it used to be all up to us. It used to all be up to Microsoft to build all of those components that we would give out. Right, we had right. All these calm libraries we used to build, but with open source and with the rest of the community, we don't have to go do that. Mm-hmm. Instead, the community is helping itself build better and better assets for the community. And that's exciting to me because it just means all of us are contributing to each other. We know how fast humans can innovate when we can build on the previous generation um, that it has done versus reinventing. And the work that we're currently doing on the Graph Toolkit with uh, Nicola and uh, Mike, um, they built the UWP toolkit, which has graph components in it, which I believe you demoed two builds yep. ago. Yeah. And um, it's been incredible to see the growth of that as an open source components library, essentially. That means you can just kind of go and reuse those things in your apps. Yep. And I, that's one of the big new, I'll say, the the changes in Microsoft since, like, say, when I, earlier on, it used yeah, to be everything would be binaries and proprietary, mm-hmm. and we'd see it as an, a RIP, differentiator, yeah. an RIP, yeah. and... The reality here is, you know, we are all better when we all contribute and work at it together. Mm-hmm. You know, and we'll differentiate in other ways and we'll have our IP in other ways, but not really in that code. The code itself is about evolving and making everyone more productive. Um, and you'll see several, so many investments from Microsoft. I'm excited because I wanted to do a bunch of this stuff years ago, but it yeah. kind of wasn't, I say, in our DNA. But Satya set a great culture of, of sharing and collaborating together that I think we are now... Well, it's one of the top contributors it's open completely source in the world. Changed, right? Like it's just incredible how much it's flipped. Yep. I mean, thirty-two. I think everyone's familiar with because it's been around for a long time. I think even UWP, the Universal Windows Window Platform, mm-hmm. um, has been around long enough. But I think people understand what that means. Hybrid is relatively new as a term, not, or not really. I'm using it as a term for a category. Okay. I think it's sixty to seventy percent of native applications on Windows have a web view in it. And host web content. Now, no some joke. do it just wow. for ads. Yeah. And some do it as 95 or 100% of the pixels drawn for the user experience. Wow. So I use to cover the spectrum of saying, hey, people are going to use, I'll say, hybrid web versus middleware because it's a specific middleware. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've used that for years and they will continue to use it. it. It's used very heavily on iOS, very heavily on Android. If you use any of your banking apps, it's pretty obvious that the, a good chunk of the user experience is actually in HTML, mm-hmm. not you know in any of the UI toolkits or anything like that on those platforms. You know, other parts are natively written, and so to me, it's just a a mixture of web content with native content, whether that's UI or just functionality like Bluetooth. You know, if you want to use Bluetooth to connect, you're going to have to call some native APIs to go do that. Right. Um, if you want to elevate and have higher level permission than what a web can do. Out of the sandbox, you're going to have to use some native components to do some of that. And so that, to me, is what I call a hybrid web app, is where you're mixing web content or web capabilities with uh, native capabilities. And, and the demo you did at Build with the roof and the solar panel planning, that effectively was highlighting that notion, right? Like it was using, was any of that 3D stuff being done directly on Windows, or is that... All of that was a native app using React Native for parts right. of it. okay. And React Native, it uses just JavaScript, Right. Not HTML and web content. Right, okay. So it's kind of a mixture. I can use even above that, which is JavaScript is a programming core programming language. Mm -hmm. Itself is maturing 
independently of web yeah, yeah. and nodes in that way. And the same thing on client with React Native where it's, it's such a high, now it's getting such a high performance language that it's useful for writing some of this rich UI code, even with native code. And it competes very, you know, very well with the C sharps and C pluspluses. You know, there's obviously C plus will always sort of beat if you want to tweak, but JavaScript's got so many great features. And there's so much code you can reuse that, hey, you reuse that code and those components and you get native user experience and controls. Right. So that was sort of what I showed there. Sort of, I won't call that hybrid web, but yeah. it kind of is another level of hybrid. Because of the notion of JavaScript and people associate it immediately as the web platforms. Right. In terms of, as a developer, getting started and like they've picked it, they've, they've built it, is the store the right approach for the majority of people shipping to reach the audience? I mean... It seems very front and center now in Windows 10 as the, the best way to go out there and get your app application known. So one, one of the nice things about Windows, I'll say some of the other platforms don't have, is we have a store to help you get customers, but you can also get customers yourself through your own web property. So there's a lot of people will go and they'll have great websites that marketed their app, to explain yeah. what their app is. Because sometimes if it's a free app, sure, I'll, I'll download and try it. If it's not, before I pay for it, I want to go read about it and I want to learn what the apps do, especially on Windows. Our, these apps are rich. So actually, as an example, when I tried to do this uh, slideshow, yeah. I would go to the website and learn what each of them did. Right, you know, right, they right. let me put a music track in there that I have to, you know, did allow me to sequence slides or not. And so, but, and then going from there to the store, a lot of times the store really doesn't have that rich explanation of the product. Right, right, right. So, but if you do go to the store, heck, I want, I want someone to see my app. I want to see my ratings. Yeah. I want, if I'm going to put the effort in to make it a great experience, I want to win the ratings war because that's how most consumers make decisions now. Right. When they buy products, they go read reviews mm -hmm. and they want to see it. So I think it's actually a, a we have the option to do both. Right. Whereas I guess in the store will bring some customers will come that route. Yeah. You have a website you can deploy and, and install from there. Um, one of the nice things we've done with MSIX is we actually have the ability that if you deploy from your site, we will still keep it up to date. So uh, you get the benefits of being up to date without just having to go through the store. You can now do that even from your own website. Oh, that's incredible. Um, so you don't have to worry about writing a background installer that some systems turn off or people, you know, prompts people all the time saying you should update. Instead, we'll do it in the background um, automatically for you. And it gives you better battery life because we don't have 20 of these background services. We have our one. Just the one. And oh, so that's realize. a nice feature. Where we basically said, hey. Developers really want all channels. Yeah, hey, yeah. However, I can go reach my customers. And if the store is working for you, great. If you want to go merchandise it on yourself, you can do both. Um, and we have more flexible uh, billing models for that, too. Yeah, and I guess there's a lot of app, like enterprise apps that wouldn't make sense necessarily to be in the store because they're such a target audience. So from deployment there, what's the story? Like, is Intune the right way to think about that as a deployment mechanism or... So I mean, we have we have several that I'll say are each in different phases. We have SCCM, yep. um, that is one tool that has lots of features, um, but doesn't necessarily target every device. It targets mainly Windows and Intune allows you to target cross devices types. You can target iOS, Android, and Windows. Mm -hmm. um, you have the you do have the store for business, which is another option uh, for deploying your application. So we kind of try to give enterprises. The flexibility. But I, I will say, you know, maybe there's sometimes just like in technologies and UI frameworks, we have a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. we didn't need as many. <laughs> we kind of have them. We have three of them. We're sitting here going, hey, you know, and each have pros and cons. And that's, so we're trying to reconcile that. I, I always find it, if developers have to make hard choices and if unwinding that choice has con major consequence, so maybe we just don't have the right layering. It right. should be more of 
as I want more, I go up and I can get more, and it's incremental for the value it's versus like clear on the value. switching. Yeah. And so we have those options, um, and you know, the, the developer or the enterprise and the IT manager can choose those options. And with that, typically you can solve nearly everything. Yep. Um, but each of them has their own kind of you know flavor and and. I'll say sweet spot that they that they go target. That's awesome. And so, as a developer, where is the place for them to go get started with this? Like, what's the one web address to rule them all? Dev.microsoft.com. Yep. It's kind of the click on Windows and you're away. Yep. Or you know, to be very honest. It's going to be Windows and cloud. Very few people build pure applications. <laughs> so I tell people, yeah, go read about how to build your cloud services. Go read about how to go build your client experiences. Make sure they work great together. So you get it, you know, the right, the, the, the great modern experience that we expect for mobility. That's awesome. So in terms of keeping up with the announcements around all this, um, obviously Build is the platform that you use to present in keynotes and the content from Build is all available on demand. But is there another channel that you'd tap into? Like, is there a blog or um, somewhere where someone could go and subscribe to make sure they keep up to date with things as they're coming through? Yeah, so the Windows developer blog is really, you know, we're using it now to talk about more than even just Windows. Yeah. So I just call it really more, it's the developer blog and really the platforms. Um, so if you want to learn about any of the platforms and what we're doing, we talk about the Windows subsystem for Linux. We talk about Terminal. We talk about our cross-platform uh, technologies as well. And that's really where if you want to learn about platform and how to build applications, um, that's a great place to get resource um, where we, we it's not just all mine. It's really we aggregate what everyone in the company is doing, and we kind of just push it through that channel to make sure that there's one place to go subscribe and you can learn what's going on. Keep up to date. I will say that I remember seeing in the rehearsals for the Bill Keynote that Windows Terminal, the video, I'm like, man, this is just outshining everything else in this keynote. And although I, I will say it's just a terminal, which I use all the time, it's kind of like that is insane that that video was that cool. And there was a lot of comments after the keynote of that effect as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, we say it's a Panos video. You know, it's like the hardware coming together. You know, we have the same people make it. That's, you know, and, you know, and for us, it is the tool we use. Right. And so, um, Across so many different audiences It, it was exciting. Well. And the engagement we've had, I mean, the excitement in the community yeah. uh, is amazing. The contributions, I think in early on, the contributions outside of Microsoft were outpacing what we were putting into it, you know, and so um, that was just exciting to see people realistically just kind of jump right in and, uh, you know, just make it their own. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Like, it was, uh, I was like, how am I going to outdo that on stage when the video is so cool? But now you say it does, it is the kind of the level of a Panos exploding yeah. a Surface device or exactly. something. Now it makes sense. You use the same studios. I'm like, that budget's got more than the whole of the graph budget for that one video. That was, we had a lot of fun with that. It was great. So how do they keep in touch with you? I mean, there's obviously you, you have a fan base for sure um, through what you do on stage and what you do. You're very close to the community. But for the level you are at Microsoft, I think you're extremely well engaged. So how can people follow you? Do you have a Twitter handle or anything like that? Yeah, my Twitter is Kevin T. Gallo. Yep. It's my name. Uh, and then you can also go as a developer blog on Windows uh, for uh, just learning what we're doing. And from there, we tend just to have a couple channels so we can then funnel people to everything else and amplify in that way. Cool. Well, look, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy person. There's a lot going on at the moment in your world. So thank you so much for taking time to be on this podcast. Absolutely, it's great. I'm, my audience will definitely appreciate it. I think they're going to be quite shocked that I managed to get you on here. So thank you so much. And um, I'd love to get you on sometime next year to talk a little bit more about progress you made, maybe post-build. Yeah, um, that'd be great. Love to. Announcements about Windows Dev. Cool. Excellent. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. 
for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. <laughs>